0: Ahoy and welcome to The Open Journal. Here we're going to be talking about mental health and all things related including illness, wellness, stigma and support and most importantly some of your very own personal stories. I'm Mike and while I'm being mindfully mindless hopefully myself and my amazing guests will be able to show you you're not alone out there.
1: said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to
0: say anything. You're not depressed, it's it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. Sometimes you need somebody to just give you permission to say you just need a little bit of help. And I think people
1: realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. So many people think they're alone and then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, And then they want to talk about it.
0: Hello and welcome to Open Journal. I hope you're well, hope things are good for you here we are it's been another fortnight we have a new episode and I'm delighted to say once again a brand new guest Kara, is going to join us today I can't quite believe I've managed to get up to kind of 230 40 ish episodes and I haven't sat down and (laughs) had a conversation with Kara uh yet either on here or in real life really like although we've been in the same room together a few times. Uh, it's always been quite like uh, there's an event or a group setting or something like that. We've not really had a chance to chat, so this was really cool. It's really nice to have an opportunity to sit down and just have a conversation, hear a little bit more about Kara, about her lived experience, and all of the different things that she's doing. So, big thank you to Kara for making some time to come and sit down and, and have a chat. It really was interesting to hear a little bit more about her. I hope you enjoy this episode and the conversation that we have and as always if you feel particularly inspired by our conversation and would like to share your own experience or have a conversation please do get in contact have a look on the website there's information for potential guests there as well that's openjournalbc.com um yeah let me know it'd be awesome to have a conversation and to share some of your experience in the future but for now I hope you enjoy our conversation we touch on lots of different things from Cara's experience with eating disorders being a service user and a service provider in some situations as well her journey to becoming a professional within a mental health setting uh, and a load of other things as well Um, the the book that is to come so yeah lots of awesome things in our conversation I hope you enjoy it here it is really nice to be sat down to have a conversation we've just mentioned actually um we've been in the room together a few times but not actually had a conversation um so it's really nice to finally sit down with you yeah thanks for having me uh how has your how's your last couple of days or how's the last week been for you we've just had um we're a week away I think from from time to talk day there's lots of different things that have gone on recently um so how's the last week been for you
1: um yeah pretty good I started a new job recently so I'm still kind of trying to figure out what I'm doing so I've been quite tired the last couple of weeks just from like trying to learn loads of new stuff you know like information overload and meeting a lot of new people and things like that but it's really exciting so yeah I've had a a pretty decent week I'd say
0: oh that's awesome it's always an exciting time I think when you're you're starting a new job or in a new setting that kind of working out who all the people are how you fit in it's like a almost like a new identity opportunity isn't it
1: yeah definitely and because I'm in like a new role now as well so um, I'm kind of yeah trying to like settle in I guess like my professional identity has changed a little bit as well from from what it was previously because I've like retrained um, as a therapist now and previously I was working as a nurse and um, so I still have my nurse qualification but I've just got like an extra one on top of it now so my role has shifted slightly so like my yeah I've worked in nursing for uh, probably I think about 12 13 years so this is like a really big um shift in kind of like how I identify professionally now so it's been it's been a really interesting couple of weeks trying to sort of settle into a different role
0: it's really interesting because I think possibly one of the first times we might have kind of been in a shared conversation I know I've seen a lot of the work that you're doing as a time to change young champion and a lot of work with with young people and it feels like there's a real kind of journey I guess that you've been on with a uh, mental health and well-being profession um, and I think that that just feels like there's been a lot of different journeys and different aspects to it as well I guess
1: yeah definitely and like time to change made a, a massive impact on like how my career's panned out I think because I I I worked in mental health like prior to um starting to work for time to change but I was like really really private about my own mental health until I started working for them and then that's what kind of gave me the confidence to start doing some more like to like set my blog up and do some more campaigning and stuff like that and I've had so many like good opportunities professionally that have come out of doing that outside of my like full-time job um that they've like made a a massive difference to my life doing doing that job so it has been a really interesting journey because I feel like I've kind of got like two hats on now I put my like therapist hat on and also my like campaigning hat on and I kind of switch between the two of them
0: do you think because I feel like it's it's something that probably a lot of people are really interested in or are imagining there's opportunities if they're in one of the two fields that you kind of straddle with those two different opportunities where people see that oh I could also go in and maybe look at how I can be um kind of more involved in a professional sense with the career that you kind of you're starting on or maybe they're in that professional setting and thinking about maybe how they can share their own story like it's quite it feels like quite a lot to do both of those like how has that journey been
1: it is quite a lot um People people do make fun of me for, like, constantly working, like, all the time. But I really enjoy both my jobs. So it doesn't always feel like work, you know. Um, although sometimes I probably should give myself, like, slightly more time off than I do. Um, but I don't think it's, like, that common for people to do both of those things, like, quite as much as I do. Um, people tend to do, like, you're right, like, one or the other more so. Um, I think there's it's not so bad now I think and I don't know whether that's because I work in a different service to the one I started in or whether like you know years have passed and times are just a bit different but there is still like a lot of stigma that exists in mental health services in terms of like professionals having mental health problems which is one of the reasons why I was really really fearful initially of like anybody finding out that I'd had any problems with my mental health um so I definitely don't I don't think it's that common for people to to do both those things simultaneously but it's, it is hard sometimes doing both, I think, because obviously, like, my main job is, like, a full-time job and it's quite stressful, but I really I really enjoy it because I think I get to really, like, express myself in the campaigning work that I do, so it's less, I, I guess, because I'm, like, in control of what I do and I don't do, more so than perhaps, like, day-to-day that I am. I feel, I guess, like, I, I can be a bit more, like, um, free with the decisions I make about where my career goes and things like that.
0: I guess does it feel in my mind as well it's having that difference between I guess in your professional role it's that um you, you're kind of building a career and offering that support to other people when there is a um a provider in a sense mm. um but through the work that you do with your with campaigning with blogging and all the other things that we'll come on to but that's a bit more of kind of you personally um kind of sharing your insights and your thoughts maybe more so than being like a member of a team offering that service as a provider if that makes sense
1: yeah definitely and I think something that's like surprises people sometimes is I'm not like secretive about my mental health at work is in like a lot of like people I work with follow me on social media and stuff like that and I had quite a long period of time off sick um a couple of years ago which um I think most people are aware why I was off um so it's not like I keep it like a private anymore like I used to but it's not something that I I go into work and talk about day to day and it's not something I, I never do self-disclosure with my patients mm. um and I think people are really surprised about that sometimes because I'm like so open when I do like campaigning and on social media and stuff but um I there's a lot to be said for self disclosure, but I personally just don't think it's very appropriate, especially because I work with children. Mm. Um, I just don't think it's fair to be like putting my own difficulties like onto them, which don't really think it's very, um, yeah, very appropriate or like very professional necessarily. And I'm aware that that's my issue because there is a lot to be said for like appropriate self disclosure, but I just don't personally feel comfortable doing that. So I think it really surprises people sometimes to, to learn that actually when I'm in my like day job, I don't really talk about it very much at all.
0: I think that makes in my mind, that makes perfect sense. So I can understand like you say, everyone's got their own interpretation of of what the best way to have those interactions are. I think I often um there's odd little words or phrases that pop up and they're the ones that you maybe cling on to a bit more. And for me, um there's a a training course that I used to deliver and part of one of the slides it's like the intro line that's not really meant to be important but it starts off with like what's the purpose of what you're doing or what's the purpose of the conversation and that was the thing that really stuck to me like um like what is the purpose of this like yes like you say you can share your story or your insights and there are things to be gained from that maybe it's a stronger rapport, or they view you in a certain way but my mind was always like, well, if I'm here to deliver training or in your case, if you're here to provide a, a service to someone, the focus is meant to be on that person and, and not on you. Mm. Um, and I know people that prefer to deliver in the other way and would, would like you say, think that there's a, a benefit there. Um, and I'm not saying there isn't. I'm just saying I often refer to what is the particular setting? what's the interaction what's the purpose of this if it's for us to come and talk about this course or in your case maybe the purpose of us being here is for me to hear from you Mm. is that going to be aided by me telling you what's going on for me that maybe distracts you or shifts the focus um it worked for me that those sort of things work really really well in a peer-to-peer setting i don't I don't think they work as well when you're the professional and someone else is the client or the service user or the person being helped um, no I
1: agree I agree, and I think I think particularly because of like my job where there is like a difference there's, there's not just the the imbalance between like being a professional and a, and a patient but also between like me being an adult and then being a child and mm. I just think like yeah I just don't feel very comfortable with like shifting the focus onto myself in that situation because I'm there for them and not the other way around but yeah I mean I think I think, you know, appropriate self-disclosure can be really useful in some settings, but I've also found, like, as a patient, I don't really want my professionals to do that to me either, because, uh, like you said, like, I'm there for me, and I don't think mm. that's selfish necessarily, I just think that I don't, I don't really need to know about their personal lives or their histories or anything like that, and it doesn't matter to me if they've got lived experience of mental health problems or not, I just care if they're, like, good at their job and whether they're, whether they you know care about me and my and my well-being and that's kind of the only things I'm interested in really so I don't really need yeah. to know anything else about them
0: I think the most I guess the most I would want to know is maybe like when you do your hello first five minutes in the first meeting maybe that's the time to say in the past because I was like in the past doesn't mean I don't still but I'm telling you that in the past I have experienced I'm like those are the bits where I think yeah that's okay but again like you I think often um you're there because you need support with something Mm -hmm. i'm not in the nicest possible way i'm not here to make a friend (laughs) yeah
1: exactly (laughs) that yeah
0: um there are peer groups there are support groups um that offer that and if that's what you're looking for then probably seeing a counselor or a therapist isn't necessarily the right thing or it's not the the same thing as you're you're trying to do um but we are we are talking a lot about kind of the different conversations, different roles that you've had um, and some of the lived experience that you've got. And I imagine probably most people that listen to this will have already heard some of your experiences. Um, but if they haven't, um, can you tell us just a little bit about kind of who you are and how you've got to today, essentially? Yes. Yeah,
1: so I was first I I was under CAMS for about five years so um child and adolescent mental health services from when I was about thirteen um when I was initially diagnosed with an eating disorder and depression um and then I stayed seeing a therapist weekly or sometimes twice weekly for a couple of years and then I had an inpatient admission for six months um and then I came back out and went under the community and then when I was eighteen I got discharged and they said like okay, yeah we think you've made like relatively good recovery you don't need you know we don't need to transfer you to adult services and then about two years later I had a, a relapse of my eating disorder so I went to adult eating disorder services and I had some CBT and I hated it and thought it was the worst thing ever and uh, I have in hindsight kind of um realised that I actually uh, I just didn't get on with my therapist very well. I don't know whether she was a bad therapist or whether we just didn't really suit each other very well, but I certainly didn't really find any benefit from it. Um, so I then went back again about six months later and had a different course of therapy and it was amazing. The guy was brilliant. It was a different kind of therapy and I really benefited from it. Um, and then I had um another quite severe relapse in like 2019. Um, and went back to the service again, and then I had a six-month day patient admission, and then did to CBT again for a year. And this time, I thought it was like the best thing that's ever happened to me, um, and my therapist was amazing. And then, kind of throughout that time, I I've been diagnosed with a recurrent depressive disorder, sort of all through like my um, early twenties, and then when I was twenty-five, I got diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Um, so I've been relatively stable since I've had like a lot of different medication um from the years of sort of 2015 to like 2018 and then that was the last time I had any sort of like mood episode and then I've been like really stable on some really good medication since then so pretty much since mm, 20 probably about this time last year I'd say I've been in like a really good place for my mental health it's been nearly a year since I was discharged from the eating disorder service um and things have been like pretty decent since then um so then I set my blog up as in my last year as a student nurse actually so I set it up because the idea was that I was going to talk about what it was like to like be a nurse um while having mental health problems and then it just never kind of naturally went in that direction um I don't really know why I just kind of I just kind of followed where my brain went with it and that just never really came up um, so I started off talking kind of generically about mental health and I was still quite cautious of talking about like really specifically about my own difficulties um and then as time kind of went on and I was seeing lots of other people like share more personal things and getting like really nice responses and thinking like actually that's really like really brave that they've done that and I've really appreciated reading what they're writing then I started to be like a little bit more open about kind of what was going on for me and I've been working for time to change for a couple of years by the time I started my blog so I was getting a bit more used to sort of publicly sharing like what my experiences were um so it all kind of yeah, it kind of came about because I like joined, I was like using Twitter a lot, and I was like, look at all these really cool people like talking about, you know, all these, you know, like mental health and doing stuff that's really helpful for other people. And then gradually, I was like, maybe I could do that. Uh, and I was so scared. So I I wrote like a couple of anonymous blogs for Times Change and uh, for like a couple of other um blogs because I was like really really scared of putting my name to anything and then gradually as the years have gone on I'm just like blah and I just tell people everything now now that I've kind of like broken that barrier down
0: a little bit it's a really interesting journey as well isn't it? like you say it's uh, that idea that oh I started off with this idea and this is what the blog was going to be and never quite went in that direction is is really interesting um there's so many odd little bits in there I think um they're all conversations on their own like that idea of the transition from cams to adult services is something that comes up quite a lot um when we're talking to people um that journey just can be a really difficult one for for young people that are transitioning into Mm -hmm. adulthood and different services and maybe they've really struggled to access cams and then the idea that they're moving on from a service they're still struggling to access to another one can be quite tricky like what was that process like for you
1: it was pretty it was pretty difficult because i didn't i didn't like technically transition i got discharged from cams and then went back into adult services like 2 years later um but cams and adult services are really really different and i actually wrote my dissertation about this because so i feel really oh, okay. strongly that we don't do a very good job about this with this in cams or in adult services um it's really really disjointed um so i i think this is one of the reasons i really struggled the first time i went to the eating disorder service as an adult is because the onus was just completely on me. Um, and I wasn't really used to having to to work like that with mental health services because CAMS just isn't really like that, um, as much as adult services is. So I remember just sitting in this room with her and her being like, um, well, what, you know, what do you want to get out of this? Why are you here? And I was just sort of like, well, I don't really know. Um, <laughs> I don't really know what, what I want to get out of it. I've never done this. Like, cause when I was a kid, um, there wasn't a specific eating disorder service for cams like there is now, it was just generic cams. So I didn't have any like specific targeted therapy for my eating disorder until I was about 21. Um, So I didn't really know what that process was gonna be like or kind of what was gonna happen or any of that. And I just felt like none of that was really explained to me very well and that it was just all very much like, well, what are you gonna do to get yourself better? And I was just sort of like, well, I don't really know, that's why I'm here, I want you to help me with that. So it was really frustrating. Um, but I found when I went back this most recent time, I responded really well to that approach of well, you know, this is your responsibility and you need to make sensible choices about your recovery because I think I'm a lot older and I've been in and out of services for, you know, eight adult services for about eight or nine years. By then, so I was just kind of like, actually, it is it is up to me to make sensible choices and take responsibility for that. But I was 29 and that's actually that's a really different age to 21. You know, you do a lot of growth in your twenties and um, it was it was really difficult i think going from from cancer to adult services even though i had that gap and i was a bit older when i went in i just think i don't think adult services are necessarily very good at adjusting to the fact that someone who's 20 isn't the same as someone who's 40 and you still have a lot of um like mental growth to do when you're that age
0: no thank you for sharing that because i think it's a really difficult process for for people to go through and like you say, there's every journey is different um like some people have had really good hopefully experiences with cams and maybe even a good transition to adult services i think it's really interesting a couple of things that you've mentioned that i think um really click in my mind particularly around like the cbt um is often Um, i would say kind of through the conversations on the podcast and other places people will talk about the negative side of cbt or how it doesn't hasn't worked for them um and i was to say i think my my initial experience wasn't great but i will always mostly always speak really positively of it now um so for me one of the reasons i think it worked for me even if it felt a bit strange at the time was it was explained really clearly before I started um, that this this isn't going to go and look back into your history and um, dig up all the stuff that might be the triggers or the where you've established certain behaviors or values or whatever this is going to look at where you are today and help you today and tomorrow Um, and that really set up what i then expected from or how i was viewing kind of the the therapy that came as part of cbt and often i could be wrong but the way i've interpreted the conversations i've had with people when they've spoke negatively about it's because they've maybe had expectations or a lack of clarity around what cbt is and what someone is trying to achieve when they're delivering that to you um they're expecting i don't want to say more because i think that maybe undersells it but they're expecting something different
1: yeah I agree And I think one of the reasons I actually probably found it so helpful this time is because the the middle therapy I had at the eating disorder services was psychodynamic psychotherapy and that really really explores all your like childhood experiences and stuff like that so I feel like I've had two like really complementary therapies that have kind of met me where I was at at the time um, but I completely I completely agree with that and the thing with CBT is as well is that it is one of the most effective therapies but it's not 100% effective and actually not everybody responds to it and that's Mm. that's okay but I think there's I don't think the NHS does itself any favors sometimes because of like IAP services and things like that it it I think it gives the impression that CBT is gonna fix everybody because it's like the most available therapy but actually Mm. there's a lot of people that just don't respond to it because it's not for them and sometimes that might be circumstantial so it might be actually it's just not the right time it's not the right therapist it's not the right environment there's loads of reasons why it might not work one time and might work really well the next mm-hmm. time like my experience was and yours um but for some people it's just not for them um and that's that doesn't mean CBT is a bad therapy it just means maybe it's not the right therapy for you at the time.
0: Definitely and I think there are times when um again probably because your professional role you're here um like some services I know now kind of described as recovery services um when kind of I guess to the public they're never really called that um that's more of like the professionals will know there's recoveries Mm -hmm. and crisis and there's probably more but those are the two that I key into um but a recovery service is very much focused on someone that has moved past crisis has had some support and is moving on or potentially because in my mind the way it works it could be someone that hasn't or or didn't reach crisis but is now okay enough to take on kind of some recovery lessons um and like you say it's accessible to everyone like you're not necessarily going to be turned away but you're not going to get the best from that it's not going to be suited to you or tailored to you because there's going to be um kind of learning as part of that and when you're in crisis that's not the time to let you just need to be supported yeah. at that stage to reflect on what do you find most difficult in the, and how can we kind of maybe um like practice and get some tools in to help support no I just need support now I'm really struggling now yeah um and I think sometimes like you say it's maybe a, a miscommunication of that or a lack of understanding as to how how that supports people um and maybe it's because there are other services that aren't i don't know aren't properly funded um <laughs> that means there's an over-reliance on the one thing that is
1: <laughs> yeah and i do think there's this perception that people have as well is that therapy has to last a really long time to be effective but actually there's some um like cbt interventions that that can be sort of eight to twelve sessions and that is actually all somebody needs sometimes and hmm. um, so you know therapy doesn't have to be a year long for it to be useful or effective and for some people will need ongoing therapy and that's totally fine but i think um, dismissing cbt because sometimes it's a short intervention doesn't isn't isn't quite accurate because sometimes it's short because that's that's all that's needed for change to happen
0: yeah i think i saw you possibly have a discussion about this online recently because you're talking about the like the six and the eight week courses and um it's so interesting because yeah you're right totally like some of this is not going to work for some people for loads of different reasons um but like the criticism of it being like a short period of time I just think like you said sometimes that's enough and also that can be quite a lot For someone to take on like six six hours of information about things that we struggle with and potentially are not really talking about most of the time can can be quite a lot. And I know I would say from my experience at the time, I didn't think it was that great um, because it took so long for it to really, I guess, like resonate or kind of sink in that I don't really feel like I was like fully engaged in the stuff that I could learn from it probably until about six months after I'd finished yeah um and so I guess if you don't allow it that time to kind of carry on with some of the things that you've picked up that feel like oh those are things that aren't horrible I can carry on trying those like I know I'm never gonna like monitor all of the activities and the foods and the the drinks that's not I can't I've got other things I'd rather do Um, I'm not going to do mindfulness for an hour every day or every week but maybe for five minutes that I can argue that I should be doing that more often Um, and I think it's finding what works for you and keep trying that over a period of time and that isn't you my mind is that you're not getting to the end of those six or eight weeks and then you're there that's like okay that's the end of us giving you the information now you need to actually go away and try and use that and the the likelihood is you're probably going to come back and access something else at a later stage um like maybe for some people that's enough but I think it's in my mind it's like once twice maybe three times um is probably what people are going to use especially if you've been through crisis it's going to take a while to come out of that it's going to take different types of support as well
1: yeah and I think what what one of the really important aspects of cbt is like the homework component so actually if you're having six weeks of cbt it's not just six hours it's actually Mm -hmm. you know six hours with a therapist and then hours and hours of practicing skills outside of that if you're if you're choosing to engage in it as it should be done um so yeah i think you're right and there is a period of watch and wait after you finish your therapy to see actually now now you need some time to embed those skills and to see um if you're still finding them beneficial and actually a lot of people do um so obviously like i'm a cbt therapist so <clears throat> i am coming at this a little bit biased and as someone who's really hugely hugely benefited from cbt um well, i'm not naive to the fact you know it doesn't work for everyone and it is i think the nhs does use it as a sticking plaster because it doesn't have the funding necessarily or the capacity to deliver other more like longer term therapies but also i do get a bit on my high horse about people just dismissing it immediately because you know it does have the reason the nhs use it so much is because it's got a really 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 solid evidence base and it has that because it works
0: yeah it's funny isn't it when sometimes i'm very aware that oh feel like I come across very basic the things that are like the throwaway things are the things that usually work for me like the go for a walk yeah that's quite handy for me I quite I do quite like a 15 minute walk yeah that's pretty good that helps me yeah um yeah like drink more lay down yeah yeah those all work for me as well yeah um but it is finding what works for you isn't it and going through and like you say if you if you don't give things a chance you're not necessarily gonna know and that can change over time as well particularly we've just mentioned the difference between services for young people and for adults if you've used a particular service or treatment or therapist um and that hasn't worked for you it doesn't mean that in five years time um those services might actually be more useful to you now than they were than they were previously um i think there's yeah a lot of times we struggle to encourage people to come and see a GP or a doctor and they have that negative first experience and it's a difficult battle then to get someone to go back if they've had that negative experience the first time um yeah I know through a lot of the, the campaigning and the work that you do you will have come across people that maybe had that kind of first negative experience. Um, Like, are there things that you kind of encourage people to do or think about um, to, to access support if they've maybe had a negative experience in the past?
1: I guess my advice, like personally and professionally, is just not to, not to give up on a service because, because it hasn't helped you the first time, because like that was my experience of eating disorder services. And I absolutely like, I owe them, so much they've been amazing since i was probably like i don't know 23 or something like when i've they're hard to get into and that's been that's been difficult but once i've been in the service like 90 percent of the time they've just been amazing um and i would never have known that if i went by my first experience with my first therapist and, and sort of drew a line under it and said well i'm never going back again um and i don't really know what would have happened to me if that was the case um but you know 90 percent of the people that work there are like really kind and they really care and they're really skilled at their jobs and I think that's probably the same of most services like there's always going to be people in any sort of job who are probably less competent than than others because that's just life um and there's always going to be people that you don't get on with in life like you might have a really good therapist but you don't really like them um or you might have a therapist that isn't the best but you do really like them and and you might you might then find therapy helpful anyway because you've got like a really good relationship um so yeah I don't know I just think try not to try not to write a service off if you haven't necessarily had a very good experience in the first place because you know there's always a different professional there that you can talk to instead um or you know like for me it's not the case of all services but like at the eating disorder services there is like multiple therapies on offer so like if I didn't find like when I didn't find CBT helpful the first time, they were like, OK, we won't put you on the waiting list for that one next time then. And they didn't. And when I went back to my most recent assessment, they were like, these are all the therapies we've got on offer, which would you like to do? And I appreciate that's not the case in a lot of places, but, um, you know, it does it does exist. Uh, so if you are in a service that has more than one option, then, you know, try and try and be assertive and ask for that if you can, because it might, you know, make a really, really significant to like, the quality of your life, I think.
0: Yeah and I think you've you've well you've mentioned eating disorders there a little bit in some of the services and I think towards the end of this month which is possibly about when this episode comes out because we're recording I think mm. a month before it's going to come out we've got yeah, yeah. um eating disorders awareness week um it's February and March there are so many different awareness days and weeks and months um I always feel a little bit sorry that everything is kind of thrown in together it doesn't get a bit more time um, but I also wonder whether maybe there's more focus because there's so many people are a bit more aware of it I, I don't mm. know um, I feel like it's probably the first one people just go yeah there's, t- there's too many I've done one that's it um, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> but it is coming up um, and I've got my own views on awareness days and kind of the the goods and the bads about them but kind of what role do they play for you and what's the importance and maybe what are some of the things that you've done in the past I I think
1: that I think that Eating Disorders Awareness Week is really good. Um, and I think I see a lot of people having really good conversations about it. So I've done I've done a few things in terms of like just uh, like writing and like things on social media and stuff like that. This year, there's a, a couple of us that are doing um, a series of spaces on Twitter. We've got some like really, really cool guests that are coming on, um, which we'll be like announcing in the next couple of weeks. But it's, it's like a really exciting lineup of people. Um, So I'm really looking forward to that. But I guess I think probably where it falls down is that there's not probably enough conversations being had about like different types of eating disorders or like different problems that sort of come up when you have an eating disorder. So like to be fair to beat, last year they did it about binge eating disorder. But I think the problem is is that no one's really interested in talking about anything that isn't anorexia. So like the media didn't really pick up on it particularly like they do with stories about anorexia and there was a lot of stories about anorexia over the lockdown which in the news which i like did quite a lot to do with the media around that and then you just don't see the same like they no one's really interested in other eating disorders which is a real shame because those are the ones that would benefit the most from the awareness because they're so like stigmatized or misunderstood um so like this year's theme is about gps and i think that's a really good one because I think your contact with your GP can kind of make or break whether you get the right treatment a lot of the time. Uh, so I think that's a really useful topic but yeah I just I worry I suppose not for any fault of anybody that's campaigning but just that the wider message doesn't really get very far when it's not about a topic that you know the rest of the world thinks is very interesting if that makes sense.
0: Yeah totally I think it's it's a difficult one and I always feel like I kind of um end up saying the same thing i think about awareness days because i don't think my views massively changed for about well, over five years of, <laughs> <laughs> um i just think they're so important I, I think um there's so many positives like there's a couple of negatives and they are quite big negatives in like you say there's um maybe a lack of progress uh and to me that's kind of what what you're talking about is that jump from um sort of initial awareness to i i say it's, it's awareness days are great for awareness but they don't always lead to education which is like yeah. the next step that we need now cool um action. <laughs> yeah action would be good action would be good um but it's remembering i'm also very aware of the circles and the environments that i'm having conversations in is predominantly with people that have experienced mental health difficulties or involved yeah. in services and we're having these conversations at least daily maybe weekly um and we're very engaged in them but there are people that will kind of see those awareness days and that will be the first day or the first week that they disclose a, a certain difficulty yeah. um that they share their experience that they talk to the gp um and i think to not recognize that kind of misses you, we forget where we were it's just where we are now it's like okay that's yeah um so yeah i think they're still really important but There's now quite a lot of people, fortunately, in in spaces and having conversations like we are, Um, and it's looking at that now, does there need to be a bit more of a a refocus of great communities and charities can continue to focus on that awareness and on access to services and signposting and does hopefully maybe more mainstream media do people that are more engaged, try to do that next step of um, looking at how education can happen. How we can talk about and learn about um, different aspects, different symptoms, different illnesses that fit within some of these very, very broad terms um, mm. that we use.
1: I sometimes think as well. Like, I think because like you're right. I, I obviously also move in circles that are very aware of like mm. mental health problems and like particularly for me, I guess eating disorders is like a, a sphere that I I move in a lot. Um, and then every now and again, like an article will come out about eating disorders and I'll read the comments and I'm like, oh, actually, we still have a really, really long way to go. And sometimes I think I'm deceived into thinking maybe things are better than they are because I'm in this little echo chamber of people who are all really um, understanding and, and aware of the difficulties. And then I I read stuff and I'm like, oh, actually, we definitely like these days are still really necessary. Um, but something I don't know, I found last year really difficult because I thought this week is like if specifically they really want to focus on binge eating disorder this week so I'm really aware that that isn't that isn't my voice that needs to be heard um but I don't really have any experience of that so I put like a as you know I've got like a relatively decent platform now so I put like a tweet out just saying like is anybody sharing anything about this that I can just like retweet it and there was barely anything and I think that's just this like vicious cycle of like because no one talks about it no one Mm. talks about it Mm. and then you're just stuck because people feel like they can't talk about it because they're not seeing anybody else do it yeah Um, and I know for me one of the reasons that I felt okay talking about my mental health problems is because I could see that other people were doing that and sort of um, helped me feel more comfortable doing it and I think particularly something like uh, eating disorders anyway carry a lot of shame but particularly eating disorders that aren't anorexia I think it's really Mm. amplified Um, and I found it really difficult to find people last year who were actively talking about binge eating disorder and that made it quite hard I think because it wasn't even just like the media weren't picking up on it it's like people even who were experiencing it and it's a really really common eating disorder and there was it was just like tumbleweeds
0: yeah I think that's that's a bit isn't it I guess where it's creating the spaces for those conversations to happen and doing the the best you can. I think the fact, like you say, you're offering that opportunity for people to come forward, but also doing your own research and, like you say, going and looking and seeing is there other information that I can share or signpost to. I'm happy to have these conversations, but also where that's not my experience, so I'm mm-hmm. not going to sit here and speak to you for like an hour about it um, or go into loads of detail. Um, and I think it's it's again, it's that what's the purpose of the conversation, like by having it you're facilitating and encouraging other people to but recognizing the limitations I guess of what you can and arguably maybe what you should do in those situations I guess
1: yeah and I definitely like I don't blame anyone for not wanting to talk about it at all because it's really hard it's really hard talking about things even when you see other people talking about it so to be like one of the first people that you know, or the first person that you can see around you, being somebody to talk about something that you know inherently carries a lot of shame and a lot of stigma. Like I don't think I would have been, you know, brave enough or, or wanted to kind of put myself forward for that. So I was really, I was really unsurprised that there wasn't many people that came forward for that. But I thought it was a real shame because it could have been a really, um, a really good, you know, experience for. Like learning about something that a lot of people don't really know very much about and it just didn't really sort of get picked up anywhere so it's yeah I think like a like it's a really really important week but I just wish that it it reached a wider circle than it does
0: Mm. yeah that's the bit where like yeah it's just that gap isn't it into that next Mm. stage I think there's um like the really important work that we're seeing charities do like you mentioned beat um there's other health charities as well that'll be doing different things and i think even just them having um resources and information on the websites that we can signpost to as well helps because then you can start to include it if you're opening that conversation you've got somewhere that you can link to so if someone's reading through and like um the amount of times now we've done uh, at work we've done different projects and you have like really minimal interaction and then you go through and you look at like how many views things are getting and you're like there's so many people reading this but not interacting Mm. and I think that really shows how important it is to include like links and signposting to things because there's like a, a huge percentage of people that are viewing this but not kind of directly interacting with you um yeah I guess to try and put a question to that um is as you've kind of we've mentioned that dual role before like are there times when you feel maybe more responsibility as someone sharing your story and your um your life online to include information or signposting because there's kind of that crossover where some people do also know I'm a professional in this field mm-hmm. I'm not um I don't want to say just because that's not fair but I'm not someone that's kind of sharing my story and only my story and I do something else this is also a professional role that kind of overlaps
1: um yeah sometimes but I think a lot of that is to kind of like preserve my own well-being as well because like a lot of people come to me for advice about sometimes about like their own experiences of like I don't know um I've got an eating disorder and I don't know where to go or like my child's really struggling with it eating what can I do that's helpful but also I'll get you know messages from people about like how do I access cams and what therapies are available and what's the waiting list like and things like that and obviously I it's impossible for me to say that because it varies like all across the country of sort of ways into different services which is another bugbear of mine <laughs> we don't just nationalize these systems but that's how it is um but I think there's only so many hours of the day I can spend answering those questions so I think by adding like signposting information to to like my blog and to you know have like a generic list of places that people can go for stuff it it is not only helpful for other people because it stops me like speculating and that's sometimes not very helpful um for whoever's asking the question because I might be giving them information that's not right for their county or mm. um for their NHS trust or whatever um, But it also helps me not having to constantly be racking my brain for like, oh, what would be helpful for this person right now? I can just go, oh, actually, I've already written about that. Here's here's Mm. the blog post. Or actually, this service is really good. Here's Beats website. Um, So I think it's helpful for me and for other people that I have some uh, places that I can direct people to rather than just coming straight to me.
0: I think it's, like you say, it's that balance, isn't it, I guess, of you want when you're sharing your story online to be very focused in on I'm, I'm sharing this i'm being very authentic and this is what it is while at the same time kind of keeping in the back of your mind um those other things of the professional side of the signposting of making sure there's good links for people to follow um, and managing yeah. your own well-being there as well i guess i think of that journey you can go through i guess as someone sharing their experience of the first times it's very it's very raw Mm. um and those are times i think when it's very difficult maybe it's not always possible for you to include signposting and that's a lot to put on someone that's sharing their story for the first few times not just the first time but the first few times that they're sharing it um and i think it's only when now when i have the opportunity to speak to people that regularly kind of are engaged in that space where you can start to talk about signposting and the importance of it um but if someone is kind of sharing those those stories or those experiences um for the first few times signposting can be quite a lot to think about and take on and I'm very aware I think when I started like it was literally this is this is my notebook but it's on a computer (laughs) um like there's no signposting there's no um spell check there's no like just this is what's going on um and I think yeah I'm very mindful that there's been a few conversations now where we talk about sign pasting that's really good but it's not always possible and, and that's completely okay um but you also talked about the kind of the importance of looking after yourself and I think that's quite a nice thing as we kind of start to come towards the end of our time is to think about how we and how you I guess um look after your well-being as someone like you say with a, a a full-time career um that is obviously going to have its own stresses and strains because one it's a job uh, and two because it overlaps with your lived experience as well which will be kind of part of why you're interested in that and why you're so good at it um that's going to come with its own impacts on your well-being and then you've also got as we said this other side where you're sharing a lot of um conversations and lived experience through your blog but also through other work i know um your i don't know if your book is published or about to be published um you've um been in news articles you've been on tv there's lots of work that's happening to share your story it's it's not a case of sitting down and writing once a week and you've blocked out that time and that's it um there's going to be lots of kind of time impacts and management impacts um how do you or how do you try to (laughs) um kind of support your well-being with all of those different demands on your time
1: um I've definitely got better at it as time's gone on I think because I used to just say yes to everything and for two reasons one because I felt really I don't I don't want my like social media and stuff to be like one-way communication but sometimes it has to be because I have like an audience that's bigger than I can keep up with having somebody like a, you know, one-to-one conversations with people mm. all the time. Um, but obviously the whole reason I like set up my blog and, and run my like social media like I do is because I want it to be helpful for people. Um, so I used to just respond to like every question that asked me like any sort of advice about anything or, um, you know, make a lot of, make a a lot of time for for finding things out to people and stuff like that. Um and also because I thought because I'd had a lot of good like opportunities that had come out of doing stuff like that. So there was two reasons really that I used to just say yes to everything because I was like, well, this will be hopefully helpful for other people, but this might also be good for me and like, you know, my career and um my you know my life in general. Like these would be you know good opportunities for me. And then as time went on, I was just like, this just isn't sustainable anymore for me to be doing this. So that's one of the reasons like we were just saying why I um have like a, a page on my blog that has like signposting on it and stuff like that. So that if people do ask me stuff, I don't like to I try really, really hard to still respond to all messages I get asking for stuff, but sometimes it is just a the blanket. These are some really good places to go for advice. Yeah. I'm not able to give that to you right now. Um but also there have been a few like professional things that have come up where I've just said, like, you know, I just don't have the capacity either mentally or Or physically you know have the time to be able to like commit to doing something like that at the moment but you know if something comes up in the future please let me know and and I'll see what I can do and just had to accept the fact that that might mean that I never hear from that person again and that's kind of up to them but that I can't put like my own health on the line just to keep saying yes to everything that like comes my way because it just isn't sustainable to to run like that um so saying no has been like a really really Um, a really key thing for me and not also sometimes I don't just say no but I'll just be like not right now like you know I'll I'll come back to you or um, you know I'm free in six weeks maybe we can raise something then or whatever so that's been probably the most important thing um, is just setting myself some like really clear boundaries about what I can and can't take on and that's made a, a really big difference and just taking time off when I need it like Sometimes I used to do this thing where like I'd book annual leave specifically to do like campaigning jobs that had come up. So I'd just be taking holiday from one job to go and work at another job. And then eventually I was like, I'm so tired all the time because a lot of like my whole job is talking as well like I'm a therapist I talk all day and then campaigning is basically just talking so like I'd literally just be talking constantly and then I'd get home and I'd be like oh my god I'm so tired I never want to talk to anyone like ever again and then I'd do all again the next day um so definitely yeah putting in like boundaries for myself and just saying like actually you need to just start saying no to some stuff has probably been the biggest thing that's like helped my well-being and helped me to like balance doing those two different roles
0: Yeah, because yeah like you say it's a lot of I guess it's a journey as well isn't it you want to you want to take those opportunities at the beginning when you're trying different things and Mm -hmm. work out um I think really nicely kind of mentioned there it's that what's going to be useful for me in terms of kind of growing my career but also discovering the things I want to do also just self-expression is really nice and having the opportunity to do that um alongside yeah just trying different things at, at a certain stage Then it's kind of readjusting and balancing. Like you say, there might be certain things you go, this is really good. I really enjoy this. I want to do more of these and maybe less of these. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'd like to think we're now in a place where there's so many people that are engaged in conversations about mental health and well-being and the different aspects that feed into that. That it's not a case now of where if someone's particularly passionate or vocal about something if they suddenly stop and focus on a another aspect there will be someone else to fill that void there as well i think in the past it's maybe felt like and sometimes it might still feel like if there's a particular aspect we've already mentioned where there are um, particular illnesses or symptoms that people might experience where sometimes you're the only voice um, those are the times where it'd be nice to kind of feed in a few more people there um, but I often think that there are other people and sometimes we sort of get into that mindset of if I don't reply, no one else will. And it's like, well, yeah, they will, someone else will step in. Um, but it's managing your I like <laughs> like you um kind of manage your time. I know I think I've now got on my emails like a I'll do my best to reply to you within seven to fourteen days. <laughs> and, it's, and that's like... usually a struggle. <laughs> 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 um but it's managing those expectations isn't it I think there's a like you say you facilitate so many great conversations and share so much great information people naturally kind of want to engage and have conversations or hear what your advice is but trying to balance that off with the 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 time that you have and the other roles and responsibilities I think is is a difficult one and I guess particularly now where we're seeing people um across dual roles um where you're not Um, like a full-time I don't know what you would be called um, like an online campaigner I guess Um, like that is not your full-time role so that's also going to limit your time and even if that was there would still be limitations to what you could do Um, so no a a big thank you to you for coming on and sharing so many different aspects to the work you have done and will be doing Um, I did mention I think you've got a few things coming up that'd be really interesting just to mention so along with kind of the links um for if people want to find out about more uh, about you and the things that you're doing um i think you've also is your book released or about to be released
1: uh i've got a copy of it but it's not officially released yet it comes out on the 21st of april but it's available for pre-order
0: now ah, so it's, it's pre-order okay okay yeah
1: it's buyable well, but it's not gettable it,
0: Yeah, oh, <laughs> that's fine that's perfect <laughs> You've got time to boost up the rankings on the pre-orders. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, if people want to find out a bit more about you and about the pre-orders, um, where can they go to find out?
1: Um, so on Instagram and Twitter, my handle's just at Cara Lizette, which is my name. Um, my blog is Cara's Corner, so it's just caras-corner.com if you just google Cara's Corner, I come up. Um, and my book is called the Eating Disorder Recovery Journal and it's like a, um, an interactive self-help book for people with eating disorders. And it's got lots of um, uh, like writing prompts and like creative activities and colouring pages and lots of um, nice little activities for people to do.
0: Awesome thank you so much Cara for coming on and kind of sharing your lived experience but also some of the professional side of what you do as well and the kind of the journey I guess that you've been on through your your lived experience but also your professional experience as well it's been really nice to to sit down have a conversation and hear a little bit more about about you really
1: oh thanks for having me said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything.
0: You're not depressed. It's it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard. It's exhausting. Sometimes you need somebody to just give you permission to say you just need a little bit of help. And I think people realize how
1: helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, it potentially might have helped some other
0: people as well. So it sort of started from there. So many people think they're alone.
1: And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, And then they want to talk about it.